We live by the rhythms of the earth, and the earth decides where we go next. The words of two total daredevils, a couple, Katia and Maurice Kraft, they were the volcano chasers. Katia and Maurice Kraft met in the late 60s at a university in Strasbourg, France. Both of them shared this unique and rare passion for volcanoes. A death-defying and then deadly passion. It was really their hope that wherever an eruption was occurring around the world, they would be able to get there as fast as possible to document the phenomenon. You know, a volcanic eruption never happens the same way twice. And they're occurring in such dangerous locations that they are so um, so rarely studied. So it was really their goal um, to use their cameras as, as tools for, for scientific uh, study. Sarah Dosa is director of the award-winning documentary film Fire of Love, screening at selected cinemas across Australia. And I'm Natasha Mitchell. Welcome to Science Friction. In this one short life, how do you want to live? Well, Katia and Maurice chose to live their lives right on the edge of erupting volcanoes. It was almost a Sisyphusian existence, so to speak. Yeah. The more they learned about volcanoes, the more they realized they could never fully know. Just Earth's mysteries were so vast and so powerful, yet the pursuit of the unknown brought them untold purpose, uh, a sense of meaning, a a sense almost uh, of kind of being in touch with the divine. They weren't religious, but the way that they described that kind of interaction with the Earth's forces seemed to us uh, to be a kind of transcendence, all the while knowing that this force could in fact kill them. And that's the story we're telling today. Two scientists, volcanologists, who fell in love with each other and with the Earth. So it's a little bit of a a love triangle with a difference. But did their extreme mission pay off for science? And why were they so prepared to pay the ultimate price? They say early on, Sarah, that they, they got into volcanology because... They were disappointed in humanity. Mm -hmm. Their relationship was sort of blossoming around the outbreak of the Vietnam War and, and, and there was this sense that they wanted to study something more powerful than humans, something beyond human mm-hmm. understanding, which I thought was such an interesting motivation. Yes, yeah, our, our filmmaking team did too. Katia was born in 1942 when Alsace-France, where she, where she was uh, born and raised, was under German occupation. Maurice was born in 1946, right as the war ended. Um, so they, they were born into this world that for them, they felt was defined by human violence. Um, they, they witnessed destruction around them and became disillusioned with what they described as kind of the absurdity and vain nature of human politics. They instead believed that there is a more authentic expression of power in the natural world. Yeah, some people in their generation turn to psychedelics and <laughs> smoking pot, they turn to volcanoes. Yes, a different kind of transcendent experience. <laughs> <laughs> one, yeah, For Katya and Maurice, the unknown is not something to be feared. It is something to go toward. So you just had the most incredible access to the most incredible archive because, of course, as they were chasing volcanoes, they're running around with Maurice with a, a camera in hand. Katia's taking still photos. I've got to see it on the big screen, actually, to really experience this kind of intimacy that they they captured with volcanoes, right at the edge of active volcanoes. 
Yeah, we, we felt profoundly honored to work with their imagery. Mm. Um, you can really sense just how close they were with volcanoes, but also the deep love. Um, and I feel like that unmistakable love that they possessed for, for the alive earth is just felt behind every frame of their footage. In this world lived a fire, and in this fire, two lovers found a home. How dangerous did things get for them? Just give us a sense of what you witnessed as you were working through those hours of extraordinary footage from their archive. We were constantly baffled by the danger they were putting themselves in. We could see why they were so drawn to it because the footage they shot was just absolutely enchanting. Um, so alive. And, and the word that always comes to mind for me is sentient. Um, they really shot volcanoes with a sense that made it just feel utterly alive, intelligent, uh, like it had personhood, so to speak. But it's beyond personhood. It's, it's really sentience. You know, they were scientists and they did uh, so dedicated, you know, so doggedly study volcanoes that they had the kind of knowledge to to navigate mm -hmm. them with a measure of confidence. And yet at the same time, they would constantly profess, you can never be sure on a volcano. Yeah. And I think that's what draws, you know, volcanologists and, and others to it is that we do control as humans so much, you know, of the earth's landscape, but this is an aspect that we, we can't. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's an admiration and a respect. Heather Handley is a volcanologist and associate professor of volcanic hazards and geoscience communication at the University of Twente in the Netherlands and also at Monash University. Like Cartier and Maurice, it was an encounter with a volcano in childhood that got her hooked. You know, it was like moonlight landscape of lava flows with this big towering volcano just sat quietly looming over it, but knowing full well that it was capable of such power and such, I don't know, devastation and just not knowing, you know, how, why is it quiet now and how does this thing work and, and why, does, why does it produce rocks that are, you know, a, a liquid that are molten? How can it do that? It never left me. I never thought I could ever be a volcanologist because you don't when you're little. But curiosity goes a long way, hey, and has led to Heather working on some of the most active volcanoes on the planet and with more tools than Cartier and Maurice had access to. But their up-close-and-personal encounters did give volcanology something else. At a time when we didn't have, you know, there wasn't footage of volcanoes and there wasn't drones and there wasn't, you know, webcams and there wasn't, you know, permanent stations there observing volcanoes. So really, you know, what they contributed to all the footage and the photos of volcanoes and how they work and eruptions were amazing at a time when we couldn't capture those. You know, we could look at the deposits after they've formed, mm. but to be able to see volcanoes actively in eruption and erupting and understand the processes that happen, you know, that was the, a massive contribution that they made. How are they regarded in volcanology today, Cartier and Maurice Craft? They were doing exactly what they loved to do and they managed to, you know, make massive contributions to science at the same time. They contributed so much to public understanding of volcanoes. You know, I think they are definitely highly regarded for the contribution that they made from all this footage that gave us just this unprecedented in insight into volcanoes and, and how they work. And especially when they were talking about the grey volcanoes, you know, the ash-producing ones, these pyroclastic flows or surges that, you know, you hear about in the film. Mm. You know, these often happen quite instantly and they're hard to, you know, we didn't have very much footage. We didn't understand, you know, how they were. We didn't have the observations of these flows coming down, you know, because they come at such speed. But we know, you know, they're very destructive. You know, I wouldn't say that you needed to probably get as close as what they did to get some of that footage. 
but to have the footage was really invaluable at the time when there wasn't you know as much opportunity to monitor volcanoes the problem is when you've got two volcanologists together it's, it's a disaster you know i've been on a volcano watching it actively erupt with two other volcanologists and it's like okay we'll go after the next one no 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 we're going to go after the next eruption no 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 we're going to go after... nobody wants to leave so i can imagine you know and i'm married to a geophysicist so it's not quite a volcanologist at one point cardia says our colleagues see us as weirdos <laughs> and 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 they clearly were eccentric mavericks so mm-hmm. d- did you get any kind of tangible sense that their daredevil pursuits on the edge of erupting volcanoes actually did contribute to science in a meaningful way? The scientists that we worked with as uh, we were making Fire of Love tended to say that Katya and Maurice were celebrated pioneers. You know, they were able to go to these remote places, bring back samples, uh, gas samples, geologic samples, as well as the imagery that allowed for study in a way that was immensely valuable for the burgeoning field of volcanology. And so they they were quite celebrated. However, at the same time, as you said, they were mavericks. They did things like past exclusion zones and safety barriers. Some people thought that they were uh, taking risks that were encouraging other people to take risks in a way that was controversial. They would get, you know, right up close. They would take temperature samples from the, what felt like, like waterfalls of lava. They would uh, reach their asbestos-clad hands <laughs> into a, a lava flow and grab a lava ball uh, and play with it. They really were kind of testing the boundaries of, of what was possible. We would hear Maurice um, talk about how you could be walking along, a hardened lava flow could seem safe, and all of a sudden you step right through what seems at one moment like hardened crust, but turns out it's quite thin and, and then you're gone. Um, there, was, there was really dangerous at every turn. Mm. He seemed to, though, relish uh, courting with death, yeah. didn't he? I'll, I'll <laughs> go without fear, he says. I'd do anything to keep living like this. I mean, there was this real sense that they knew that they might die together and they were OK with that. They really had to reconcile uh, that idea that they could die at any moment. Um, and they did. And, and for them, they chose to, to live this life of danger because, again, being close to erupting volcanoes is what brought them the most meaning. Um, it really was their love. And, and it was an unrequited love, but they chose it anyways because it was going into the unknown. It was getting close to the mystery um, that allowed them to live this, this beautiful, rich life. The footage is often almost sci-fi. <laughs> you yes. know, those scenes of them in their bespoke silver mm-hmm. spacesuits on the edge of erupting volcanoes, silhouetted by smoke and, and flames and, and ash. But there is something so utterly mesmerising and, and terrifying about that molten march of Middle Earth, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> and, and, of course, Maurice had fantasies, didn't he, of, of jumping on a boat, floating down a a lava flow. And I wouldn't have put that past them. I mean, I imagine that they probably would have done that if they could have. They did um, talk about that often, just getting it as close as humanly possible. But but you're right, Maurice, he possesses dream to canoe down a lava flow. And then that evolved into, you know, he had the grand plans for, um, I believe it was a Gemini capsule that he was going to uh, lease from from NASA. He was really trying to make this work. Um, it was really his dream to get inside a lava flow. 
Katya thought that was on the foolish side. She was certain that Maurice would die. And for them, those kinds of tensions kind of lay up at the heart of, of the relationship too. They weren't a couple that was just totally on the same page all the time. Katya was just as courageous as Maurice, but um, she was a bit more methodological and, and kind of desired a, a longer life, seeing as many volcanoes as possible. Whereas Maurice was more about the immediacy, kind of the burn, burn, burn sensibility. But working with volcanoes is such dangerous work. You have to be totally in sync. So pursuing their their ultimate love kind of caused them to, to snap back together. Yeah. He goes, I want to get closer right into the belly of the volcano. It will kill me one day, mm-hmm. but that doesn't bother me at all. And I, I did wonder whether mm-hmm. whether this was as much a, a kind of hedonistic adrenaline-charged addiction as it, as it was a scientific quest. You know, I, I think it's both of those. And I, it was kind of like a philosophical approach as well. Maurice especially never felt more alive than when he was close to death. He, he talks about when he's in Hawaii, he feels like when he's peering down at the crater at Kilauea, he feels like he's witnessing the birth of the world 4.6 billion years mm-hmm. ago. And, and so it's that, it's, it's really this kind of higher sense of, of being close to the forces of creation and destruction all at once, mixed in with this adrenaline junkie approach and mixed in with the scientific inquiry. So so I really believe it's, it's all of these. Even if you go in with, with the pursuit of scientific knowledge, sometimes you can't help but have the human experience mm-hmm. of connecting with the vastness of, of the natural forces of a volcano. Yeah, I love how he describes it. Maybe you need a certain philosophy of existence to take on these volcanic monsters. Mine, he says, is elementary. I prefer an intense and short life to a monotonous and long one, a kamikaze existence in the beauty of volcanic things. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one thing you don't see from the film or you don't feel from the film is what it feels like. You can't feel the feelings that it's like next to be next to an active volcano. So I understand the draw and the pull that it, it gave to them and they were constantly chasing, you know, the next volcanic eruption. How up close and personal have you got with erupting volcanoes in your work and your research as a, as a volcanologist? The closest I've been is at Yasser Volcano on Tana Island in Vanuatu. And it's an amazing, it's one of the world's most active volcanoes. So, you know, when you see these these images of eruptions where you get these hot rocks making trails, you know, kind of nice arc, like red trails that then land on the floor. Mm. So it's called the Strombolian eruption after Stromboli in Italy that does the same sort of behavior. And there it erupts every 10 minutes or so. And it has done for hundreds, hundreds of years. So we'd gone up on it. We wanted to get a fresh sample because we really needed to know the age of that rock. And so we went up onto like one of the sides of it along the crater to see. Um, but the, the rocks were is a little bit active and some of the lava bombs were flying over our head and one of them landed in the car park. I mean, oh, but yes, that was that one was uh, probably the closest. And again, we just never wanted never wanted to leave because it's just such a spectacular, you know, feeling and sight to see them active. Would you get up as close as they did? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get as close as they did. I mean, I've I've got close a little bit too close at times for my own likings. And I think since having children, and I know that's one thing they said in the film is, yeah, you know, they chose not to have children. You know, I probably wouldn't do some of the things I did when I was younger now because I obviously have a you know a feeling of responsibility for my children and making sure I'm there for them. Don't you reckon though that uh, Katia and Maurice Craft would probably, despite all the tools and technology, despite being able to well, look at and study volcanoes well at a distance using satellites and drones, etc. 
I reckon they'd still be hanging out on the edge of a ledge on top of a volcano today if they were yeah, still alive. I think, I, th- I think their their passion and their fascination, yes, definitely would would keep them close to volcanoes. But I, I think Maurice would have uh, mastered a drone. I think he would, as a filmmaker, I think having that overview that he would never have been able to have over the top of the volcano when the eruption, he'd probably have killed a few drones, I think. He would have definitely uh, had a high drone killed toll. <laughs> and they were celebrities, weren't they? They, they really, in the, in the <laughs> 70s and 80s, they were huge celebrities in France and beyond. Yes, exactly. They're, they're quite beloved, especially in France and other parts of Francophone Europe. They really knew how, uh, again, in a, in a very authentic mm. way, um, they knew how to perform versions of themselves as these charming, beloved adventurers who are also introducing people into this world of geoscience. And, and culturally, that there is very much a, a wave of, of kind of celebrating these idiosyncratic public intellectuals who are also bound up in scientific exploration. You know, Jacques Cousteau, of course, comes to mind as a, a perhaps a more yeah. well-known um, uh, celebrity. Plumbing the oceans. Exactly. But th- there's a kinship between uh, Cousteau and, and the crafts. And of course, they entered volcanology at such an interesting time because this was when the, the so-called plate tectonics revolution was underway, where, mm-hmm. where plate tectonics became the prevailing theory for the earth sciences. Absolutely. It was such an exciting time for them. The theory of plate tectonics began to gather um, kind of initial steam in, in the early part of, of the 20th century, but it was really in, in the late 60s that it t- took off and um, radicalized uh, the field of geology and also helped to really Form volcanology as a field unto itself. It was an amazing time because if you think about understanding the Earth, there'd been some theories about how, you know, how the Earth works on a big scale. But when plate tectonics came in, it was when this understanding of that the Earth is made into these different plates. So it's the Earth's crust and the upper mantle and that they move around and that they actually collide and go down underneath each other or they pull apart from each other. And that's how we've kind of understood, you know, how the Earth evolved. So we knew that continents look like they fit together like a jigsaw, you know, if you take South America and Africa and you put them back together. So we had these theories of drifting continents, but it wasn't until plate tectonics came in that we really understood the processes that controlled the earth. And then that explains also the formation of volcanoes and where we find most of the volcanoes on the planet. The majority of volcanoes and activity we see and the deadliest volcanoes are at these kind of plate boundaries. And one of the most deadly volcanic eruptions in recent history was in 1985 in Colombia. This is the face of suffering in this remote corner of Colombia, alive today and lucky. But at three years old, suddenly bereft of the rest of his family. To be one of the most disastrous volcanic eruptions in history. Some estimates say more than 20,000 people in the Andes mountain regions of the country have been engulfed by mud and ash from a volcano that had been dormant for 500 years. At this moment, there are certainly still scores of people alive, trapped in the ruined towns beneath the volcano. In uh, Colombia in 1985, Katia arrived at the Nevado del Ruiz um, eruption site in Armero, Colombia, where she witnessed just absolutely catastrophic death. There's between 22,000 to 25,000 lives lost due to the, the volcano that had erupted. The people were not able to evacuate on time, uh, even though there were signs of an eruption brewing for over a year. 
Unfortunately, uh, there was many calls from scientists as well as people who, who lived at the base of the volcano saying this is going to erupt, this is going to erupt, we need to create some sort of warning signal, we need to create evacuation plans. However, due to complex political and economic reasons, those warnings were not heeded. And very tragically, uh, so many lives are lost. And that really provided a, a turning point uh, for Katya and Maurice. They were so devastated by the destruction. They really thought that they could have done more. Yes, it's interesting. I feel like in, in your documentary, that that's almost a moment when Katia loses her childlike kind of innocence or mm-hmm. naivety. There's yes. this sense that, uh, you know, they've had this enduring uh, courtship with volcanoes and then suddenly they crash back to earth. It was this just absolutely devastating moment. Um, it's kind of like in so many classic tales of romance when when you realize that love is blind, yeah. so to speak, to, to use that age-old cliche, that this force that was so enchanting to them, even though they knew it possessed this violent power, really showed that other face, that, that destructive side. It really caused them to contemplate, mm-hmm. uh, to, to reconsider their, their life's purpose, um, to, to question if this is what they really wanted to do. And they decided, yes, this is, but it wasn't without some deep soul-searching and interrogation. I think they estimate now about 1 billion people in the world that live close to active volcanoes. Volcanologist Heather Handley. And so, you know, understanding how they work is one thing, but preparing societies for eruptions and making, and, you know, having better understanding of volcanic hazards is really the real reason why, why we do it. Mm, there's a real duality in your work, isn't there? That incredible fascination with the Earth's processes, but also a sense that uh, life is finite if we live near a volcano and we, we really are walking a very precarious line as, as we heavily populate those areas around the base of volcanoes across the world. Yeah, and with population increase, it's just getting more and more, you know, more and more people are living on, having to live on the flanks of the volcanoes and closer to the active vents. So on June the 3rd of 1991, they're in Japan. They are there to document a deadly phenomenon. They know it's deadly. What happens? So on that day, on on June 3rd, um, a lava dome that had been building at the top of Mount Unzen collapsed. And that triggered what is called a a pyroclastic flow, where the the ash uh, building in the lava dome essentially uh, crashes in, uh, combusts with deadly hot gas and just storms down the mountainside. It's extremely deadly, thought to be one of the most deadly forces on the planet. Temperatures of up to 600 degrees Celsius meant all before the flow was consumed by fire. Houses, fields and vehicles. Some shockingly burnt survivors managed to stagger out of the area. They thought that if they could get uh, a very specific kind of shot of of a pyroclastic flow, uh, they could put it in some of their um, the videos that they were making that went on to encourage governments, um, decision makers, and people who live near volcanoes to kind of understand this force and thus know how to evacuate with enough time to, to save lives. So that was really their intention. None of the missing are expected to be found alive. So they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, even though they were trying to capture this image for for very important purposes to save lives. Uh, So it's it's quite tragic that their own lives were were taken in that moment. If there was ever a way for Maurice and Katia Kraft to leave the planet, 
I'm sure that is exactly how they would have wanted to go. Yeah, you're probably right. Together and by a volcanic eruption. And quite poignant that somehow their own ash is ever intermingled with volcanic ash. Yes, so absolutely. We mourn their lives and there's so many people who loved them and, and still mourn them. But the, there is a kind of poetry in the fact that they became kind of one with the earth. There's, there's a line uh, in one of their biographies written by a dear friend of theirs, Andre de Masson, where he says, you know, in that moment, Katia and Maurice became one with their beloved volcano. Mm. You know, well, I'll just share this one quote um, from Maurice where he talks about when he looks at a rock, he sees a life, he sees a memory. Um, he tries to look in geologic time where a rock once was a grain of sand and that grain of sand once was a boulder. And that boulder once came from a volcanic eruption that uh, you know, once was a rock that was melted in, in the Earth's mantle at another point. So there is this whole life cycle to rocks, something that for so many people see as so ordinary or inert. Um, but to possess that aliveness, I'll never look at the Earth the same. I'll, I'll see force, uh, I'll see life, I'll see mystery. I'll see inquiry and we'll forever be grateful for Katia and Maurice for, for teaching me that. Just gorgeous, Sarah Dosa. Thank you so much for joining me and, and congratulations on the film. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such a fun conversation. I'm so honoured to be here. Film director Sarah Dosa and Fire of Love is airing in selected cinemas now for a limited Australian season. Incredible footage. Check it out. And volcanologist Heather Handley is co-curator of the first ever Earth Futures Film Festival, happening online this month and next as well. More info over on the Science Friction website. I'm on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell. I'll catch you. Bye.